Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I'm so glad to have you here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about something that I'm doing later this month, you know, in January. So I'm hosting a meetup for the podcast, the Forward Thinking Founders Meetup. I'm inviting every guest I've ever had on. I'm inviting any angel investor who's an angel investor in the podcast. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're having it at a great location in San Francisco in late January. And I would love for you to come. Right now, there's two ways for you to come, really. Um, you can buy a ticket on Eventbrite for 50 bucks, um, Or you can do what I want you to do in the first place and become an angel investor in the podcast. If you become an angel investor in the podcast, you get to come to this meetup uh, you know, complimentary to what you pay, which is $10 a month or $100 a year, on top of all the other benefits you get for being a, uh, an angel investor. Um, if you go on my Twitter, which is Matt underscore Sherman, you'll see that I am playing some like interesting games. If you want to come for free, you have to find someone with a promo code. So if you're interested in doing something like that, head over to Twitter at Matt with one T underscore Sherman. But if you just want to go, you don't want to play games, you just want to meet amazing guests that I've had on the podcast, just become an angel investor. You can do this at glow.fm slash f 20 R. What you get is obviously access into the meetup, you get premium content, you get an online community, and you get my highest graces and my thank yous because I really appreciate the supporters. So, you know, th- that's all I have right now. We're going to get into the podcast, but if you want to come to the meetup, then become an angel investor or pay 50 bucks. Up to you. With that, let's get into today's episode. Run it! All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their vision for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Ricky Johnson, who is the creator of Barrage Training Deck. Ricky, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks so so much for having me, Matt. It's going pretty well. So started off the new year on a cool note. I've never done a podcast, so uh, this is really exciting. Cool. I am so happy to hear about that. I love when I'm people's first podcast because I remember when I had my first podcast and mm-hmm. I have very fond memories of just that because it's the, it's the first thing, right? That you, have, right. you always remember your first. So I appreciate right. that I can be your first <laughs> podcast that you've been on. And hopefully it's the best. Hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we get, you know, <laughs> but uh, we get into some cool stuff and you already are working on some cool stuff with, with barrage. Thank you. Uh, what, you know, for people that are listening, but aren't, mm-hmm. you know, don't follow you yet. Mm-hmm. What are you working on with, with your company? Yeah. So, uh, with barrage training tech, I've made what's called the barrage striking sleeve. And so it's just a sleeve that's meant to wrap around, uh, whether it's a freestanding or hanging punching bag, basically any punching bag you'd find in a gym, Uh, boxing class or etc it's made to wrap around it and it has uh, LEDs and LEDs and pressure sensors embedded in it so it kind of indicates where to strike and you can program sequences things like that so it's kind of meant to be like a a virtual coach when you don't have anybody there telling you what combinations to put together so let's walk through a little bit of the UX almost like the experience Mm -hmm. of of using this. So let's say I get a sleeve. Um, I can put it on anything that could pass as like a punching bag or, you know, anything like that. 
Yep, exactly. So uh, it basically has buckles along the backside uh, with extension straps as well. So no matter if you have a huge trash bag or trash can looking punching bag, or if you have a very small, uh, small in diameter one as well, it can adjust to the different widths. And also since it wraps around or it's made to wrap around punching bags, uh, it's also made to lay flat as well. So if you don't want to actually wrap it around a punching bag, if you wanted to, like my nephews have taken it off the punching bag, thrown it on the floor and just stomped around on it uh, just to step on the lights. You can do that as well. So. Okay. So you have this, this sleeve that you can, you don't even need to put it on a punching bag. It, you know, right. it, 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 really the technology is in the sleeve and right. but let's say I have a, a punching bag and mm -hmm. I put it on. So you're saying that, you know, it doesn't light up and then I, I, I punch that and I'll light. you know, can you just kind of walk through if I was to buy it, what I would experience kind of, yeah. are there settings? Are there like modes? Um, I'd love right, to hear right. a little more detail how it works. Yeah. Good question. So, uh, basically it'll come rolled up in a box. So it'll look almost like a, any yoga mat that you'd buy from the store. So once you get it out of the box, you can wrap it around your punching bag and secure the clasps. And, uh, once you power on the striking sleeve, it starts out in a randomized game mode setting. Uh, so it'll go through some self calibration at first, and then it'll turn on and just one light on the sleeve will be lit up for you. And it's gonna stay lit up until you actually punch it out. Once you punch it, uh, that light will then transfer to a different area on the striking sleeve as well. And so uh, that's one of the game modes that's available currently, it's just, randomized forcing you to kind of mix up your strikes you never know what's coming uh but then there are also other game modes so right now on the ios app store there's a downloadable app so you can uh you can do things like calibrate the sleeve so if you have a child using it it takes less pressure to make things react uh you can also turn it up so if you're a really heavy hitter and you want to have to work for it uh you can turn it up as well you can also switch the game modes right now. There's a Simon Says game mode, a uh, customized zones, so you can kind of customize what sequences come across, things like that. So I'm hoping to continue to add different game modes as well as I develop. And you know, you mentioned as you develop, I, I, I'm kind of curious, how did you, how did you make this? Is this something, yeah. um, well, I actually have no idea. I'm not even, not even gonna try to guess. So I guess the first question is how did, like, where did the idea come from? And yeah. then, you know, because this isn't just software, this isn't just bits, mm -hmm. this is real world, this is almost in some ways hardware. Right. How did you execute and actually make yeah. it happen? You know, that it's really hard. So I want to hear that story. Yeah. So it's been a long journey. Um, so I, my background is in computer engineering. I graduated from ASU. So that kind of made me fairly well equipped to kind of tackle this problem. Uh, but the problem originated because I've done martial arts for a really long time. And uh, when I was working out with my instructor, he'd always have me work out on a punching bag. And it was a great workout, but he'd be there to tell me what combinations to do, what things to do to the punching bag. Um, and then, so when I got home, I try to work out on my own, try to replicate that workout. And I just couldn't think of combinations fast enough or what to do fast enough. So I just randomly punch, kick, you know, swing at the punching bag with no real targets in mind or, I kind of do the same thing over and over again, just because that's what my body was comfortable with. So I thought if I could make something that would be sort of a virtual coach or at least give me some guidance, uh, then I'd, I'd kind of 
uh, be on the right track to a solution that'll work for me. So I started out making, I thought of maybe I'll make this giant robot that'll kind of hold up different pads and, you know, it'll tell me where to punch it and uh, thought about it some more and realized that that would be way outside of what my budget would allow or my time. And then I started uh, toying with the idea of making a punching bag that had lights inside of it uh, that would, that could kind of just tell me where to strike and things. But uh, I realized uh, I probably wouldn't just make this for fun. Like if this, turned out pretty good I'd hopefully sell it to somebody and so I thought maybe I don't want to have to compete with the all the people that make punching bags already so Everlast, Century and all these huge companies because I just wouldn't be able to compete so I thought maybe if I could make something that actually wraps around a punching bag uh, I don't have to compete with replacing people's punching bags that they already have I just make an adaption uh, that can kind of enhance their punching bag and so uh, they're came the idea and I started playing around and making some really crude, ugly prototypes and kind of proved that I was able to accomplish whatever I had in mind. That's awesome. It, it's, you're, you're definitely, you're, you, there's a lot of people that, especially um, people that like, just like myself, when I was in college, I built all sorts of stuff that didn't actually line up with like the reality of like the world right um, and what what this is like i'm not you know what's interesting is i'm not you know a, a boxer i don't mm -hmm. generally train on these things but going on your website and seeing this is like wait a second even i could get this put it right. on my gym's uh, punching bag and have some fun right um, exactly. it, you're almost gamifying working yes. out um, and it's very attractive uh, to, I feel like, I mean, it's attractive to me, but I feel like attracted to a lot of people because everyone right. wants to be healthy, right? Right, exactly. And and gamification is, is exactly the right word for it. Uh, and hence why I'm trying to add different game modes and things like that, because taking it around to different gyms and just getting feedback from different people, I'm realizing that people want a lot of different things. So a boxer, a professional boxer wants something that's way different than you know, a, a five-year-old that's just in karate class and he just wants to, you know, run around and punch out some lights and find some, a cool way to expel some energy. So uh, gamification is the exactly correct phrase for what I'm trying to do, hopefully. I'm kind of interested to hear how have things been, if you're open to sharing, yeah. um, like on the BED side and the business, the business side, this is, mm -hmm. I've never seen something like this before. Um, and you seem to be, you know, pretty serious about the business side. Like, this isn't just like a fun thing that you're trying right. out. So how has it been going? How has distribution? How has pricing been? I'd love to hear a little bit on that side. Yeah, so that has been an absolute roller coaster because uh, what I'm comfortable with, like I said, I'm, a, I'm an engineer by occupation. So when I was just in my room tinkering, trying to figure out how this would go together, I had a ton of fun. And now that things have kind of transitioned into how do I make this a business? I'm a lot more out of my element. And I wouldn't say that I'm not having fun, but my mind just, I guess, works differently uh, than a, a business person. So like I said, it's been quite a roller coaster. So uh, I've been touring it around the different gyms and seeing what people want. And as far as pricing goes, that, through testing and taking it to different gyms, I've been able to sort of figure out what's a decent price point especially looking at other equipment that they have in their gym that kind of is my competition. So I was able to come in a little bit lower than uh, some of my competition out there. 
and also begin to test the durability of it of it at the same time because for instance a boxing gym they have 50 plus uh fresh boxers who are just basically waiting in line to beat up on this thing and so i was hoping that if it can survive in a boxing gym it can survive in someone's basement who's just using it four or five times a week and things like that um so that's been a huge journey so far i'm not quite to the point to where i'm ready to sell yet but um it's just been a lot of testing, refinement, and testing again, basically, up until this point. So as you've been testing, um, most of these questions are coming out of literally just curiosity, because I think mm -hmm. this, this product is just very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, have you, like, on just, I guess, a high level, how have boxers liked it? Like you said, people are lining up to, to, to beat it up, you know, right. and, and use it. Um, how do they like it and have they seen anything like it before? Like, are you pretty much in your own class or is there, you know, like what's that kind of world like? Right. Um, so it's kind of a, a weird world to be in because there are, there are um, different products that sort of behave similarly to what I've created. However, these are like uh, standalone structures. So something that you have to put in the corner of your gym or something that you have to bolt to the ground. Uh, things like that, but nothing that's made to wrap around a punching bag that can be taken, rolled up, and thrown in a closet or things like that. So as far as that space goes, I'm kind of in my own sort of market, but at the same time, I'm still competing with these uh, heavy-duty pieces of equipment. And that's one of the hard lines to follow for me, at least, because like I said, these are like real heavy-duty pieces of equipment while mine is meant to be taken off, rolled up, and put away. So it's, it's really hard to make something that's mobile and uh, with electronics in it as well that's made to withstand a punch, made to withstand a ton of kicks and things like that. So just due to my competition, it's been, it's been pretty hard to try to uh, iterate and refine to get to a point to where I really can compete with those guys as well. and. Um, as far as boxers goes, uh, they've, they've asked for a lot of different things. Some boxers like the zones that light up to be a little bit closer so the targets are directly in front of them. Uh, they, the boxers are who caused me to add the combination game mode that I added to be able to program sequences because they do the same combinations. They have specific combinations that they like to utilize, things like that. So uh, the boxers have been a really great resource as to refinement and making it better it kind of blows my mind because you you come from a you're technical you built this um right, right. and it's not very often um that i this might sound bad uh but like i talked to a lot of people in san francisco and like oh, there yeah. oftentimes there's always like a technical founder and right. a non-technical founder or two technical founders right and when i talk to companies um i'm just gonna like pick on like in arizona i'm from arizona i love arizona and i want right. arizona the startup scene to grow um but sometimes i give it some tough love right and right. and i find a lot of of uh you know very excited smart founders mm -hmm. um but they're just not technical and they're right. and they're they try to figure out the technical side by outsourcing to an agency or right. or um, or, you know, whatever, whatever they do. And mm -hmm. what, what's interesting is like, you aren't just technical, which you are, mm -hmm. but you're also figuring out the business side too. Like I'm are, have investors 
like, have you have any contact with investors at all? Are you even, do you even want to talk to investors? Like, where <laughs> are you on that side? So I think this is honestly very attractive from like an investment angle as someone who right. doesn't know much about that, but knows something, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, it's funny because when I first started out, um, I was trying to figure out how I'd make this. So I wanted to hire um, an engineering firm to make something that would be robust enough to uh, go into a gym. I sort of wanted to, when I first started out, I wanted to bypass the step that I'm in right now, which is all the refinement, testing, refinement, uh, and this cycle that I'm in right now. So when I very first started, I did want to have investors, and I actually really entertained the idea of having investors. However, I found it really hard to uh, attract investors on an idea, and my prototype was so ugly, I was kind of embarrassed to show it off. So um, I kind of, that kind of deterred me from getting an investor, and now that I've kind of made it this far, I have a pathway that I want to go down and Basically, I'd want to start in Arizona and expand outward uh, just so I can keep a keep track of like feedback and how things are holding up in the gyms and things like that. And then once I have all my ducks in a row, I hope to expand outward. And through that track that I'm on, I no longer am entertaining investors. Now that uh, this thing has gotten a lot prettier and a lot more durable in the boxing gyms, a few investors have come up. But yeah, now now that I'm on this path, I'm no longer considering investors. And is that is it because you you don't you you've gotten to a point where you don't actually like need them? Like there's not even there's not even a point to to, right. pay to dilute your own company. Right, and that's exactly what it is. Because at first, when I wanted to have an engineer kind of do the work for me, I didn't have the type of money that would be able to hire a design house or anybody else to actually do this for me but now that it's already made and now that i'm just trying to sort of get the name out there um i'm willing to sort of do that myself so i don't really need the funding that i once did when i first started out yeah you you're i feel like this is going to be massively successful <laughs> just like <laughs> just how you're how you're talking um it's just it's just cool because it's the the mindset that that the you know that i think the like the winners have in the long run and i talked to like a lot of like this podcast i've talked to now over a hundred people mm -hmm. and i like can pattern match slightly you know and it's just right. you're uh it, it's just cool to hear uh i have a couple more questions about the specific product and then we'll go on to some other topics so okay sure um i i went on your website because i was actually like for a second i'm like oh maybe like it's it, the price is a place where i could afford and i could actually buy yeah. it like this is something uh -huh. I, I would literally buy and uh -huh. i saw that you are you are you trying open to disclosing the price that you have on your website is that cool yeah um, yeah cool so yeah i saw it online mm -hmm. for 500 dollars. i'm like damn right that is like a very smart price point i want right. to get go into how do you come up with 500 for this and uh, not lower or not higher yeah so <laughs> Um, it was actually kind of a, a, a battle that I had. So it took me a long time to finally decide on a price point. Uh, the first step was sort of, uh, once I had somebody manufacturing it for me, I of course knew the, the cost that it went into building one of them. So that went into heavy consideration. And then of course you want to always figure out how much you can sell it for before people are like, Oh, never mind this is way too expensive. And for a very long time, I was not comfortable with $500 because personally, I wouldn't, I thought that I wouldn't be willing to pay that. But 
Um, and one of the biggest struggles that I've had, like I said, I'm much more inventor than I am entrepreneur. So that business mindset is still kind of developing in me. And so as an inventor, I just wanted people to use it. I just wanted to get it out there to people. So I wanted people to pay as little as they possibly could for my product. And I'd just be happy to see people using it. But then the other half of my brain is like, hey, it would be cool to quit your job eventually. So we need to make some money on this thing. So, uh, so I started kind of incrementally just playing around with the different price points and going to gyms and saying, hey, when this thing comes out, it's going to be $1,200. Hey, when this thing comes out, it's going to be $300. When it comes out, it's going to be $500. And after talking to different gyms and things like that, uh, I, once I started throwing out the number $500, I got a very good response from just about everybody that I went to, especially the people that are already in the space. They know how expensive punching bags are. They know how expensive uh, the other devices that are kind of like what I'm providing, they know how much those devices cost. So in comparison to both of those um, entities, $500 seems like a pretty good deal. And so that's how I came to that number 500. That's, that's awesome. And it's a really classical way and probably like one of the best ways to, to price a product. Just right. tell people this is how much it's going to be. And then... Right. See how they respond right, <laughs> and, then, exactly. and then go from there. Exactly. And you know, that, that was one of the hardest parts aside from the testing portion where things are breaking down and things like that. Um, that was probably one of the hardest moments for me because um, I didn't enjoy the feeling that I got when people would turn their nose up to $1,200, even though I knew that I wasn't going to charge that just that feeling of, hey, you're charging way too much, you're greedy, whatever the reaction might be. It was hard yeah. for me to kind of deal with that type of reaction. So uh, that was a really tough point for me, especially trying to get to what my price point would actually be eventually. Definitely. Um, that, that makes sense. So I'm going to ask a, a couple of questions. Now, I don't think I've ever actually been able to ask these questions. Um, actually, there was one person I had a guest on who also what was an ASU alum mm -hmm. and went through some of the, the programs over there. So I'm kind of curious for you, um, in your journey, mm -hmm. how, has, how were you involved with ASU, any of their programs? How have they helped not help? You know, I'd just love yeah. to hear how, um, you know, our alma mater, uh, you know, because right. that's where I went to college too, like, um, how did they play a role in, in this for better or for worse? Yeah, so actually they played a huge role. So of course I did like the entrepreneurship classes and things like that. Uh, that kind of got me some initial exposure to what it meant to be an entrepreneur, especially I thought it was really cool because they have uh, entrepreneurship classes specifically for their engineers. And so I thought that that was a really um, useful class just to kind of show you how you can use your technical knowledge in a, in a way that's outside of going to work for Amazon or going to work for Facebook and having a regular nine to five. So those entrepreneurship classes really helped me. But one of the biggest things that helped me was uh, actually Venture Devils. Have you ever heard of Venture Devils? Okay. Yes. Big fan yeah, yeah. of Venture Devils. Publop got some money from them last year. So I'm, right. having to, I, I, I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Venture Devils was a huge help. And actually this isn't my first venture. I, actually did a mobile app while I was in college. Uh, it was meant to um, 
take food, wasted food at the end of the day, food that uh, restaurants were going to throw away, and they'd be able to post it to the app and everyone around would be notified and they'd come and purchase the leftover food. Uh, but that worked out better on paper than it did in practice. So that, that venture quickly died. But that was sort of my first introduction to the Venture Devils and to exactly what they provide for you. And now with Barrage, I'm still in the Venture Devil program. And so uh, you get access to mentorship from people that have actually been able to make successful companies. So you don't feel, you know, like you're just wandering down a aimless path. Uh, and also tons of funding opportunities, opportunities for you to pitch in front of a crowd and win money and become more comfortable with public speaking and things like that. So Venture Devils has been a huge help. I would love to dive into your, I guess, your first company, your first mm -hmm. venture. Um, I, I don't know where I heard about it or why that sounds so familiar, but I've definitely heard about that company, whether right. I heard the pitch, I heard, you know, I, that sound, sounds familiar. Right, and I, uh, uh, I'm just kind of curious to go through, um, really, what the last ten percent of that company uh, mm -hmm. was like for you, aka, mm -hmm. um, you you made the decision to to stop working on it for right. for various reasons. Right. Can you kind of just go into uh, what that was like? Um, you know, how you one how you knew it was time, and not just mm -hmm. push a little farther and how you feel now, now that you, you made that hard decision, but now you're able to do other things. Let's just like get an insight into that. Right, yeah, that's a really cool question. Um, so, so like I said, the, the app was called Frenzy. And so you, uh, so like I said, it was a really uh, sounded good on paper type of business venture. And so what I realized is that when I went to these restaurants to see if they'd be willing to post things on the app, most people were willing, but they were normally deals for like 20% off or things like that. And it's normally things that the deals that they were putting on the app were basically deals that you could clip from, you know, a coupon book or something like that. And so that wasn't what I had in mind when I initially formed the, the mobile app. And so I realized that, maybe this isn't exactly something that restaurants really necessarily want all that much. Um, and I realized while I was going through it, I, I created something just because I thought it was a good idea, not because I was passionate about it. And that is one of the biggest things that I think that I took away from Frenzy initially is um, I shouldn't just pursue something because I think it can make me money. I should pursue something that one, I really want to use, and two, something that I'm really passionate about. And that's what's made me so excited about Barrage because, like I said, I've been a martial artist for a long time, and this is something that initially I invented for myself just to see if I could make something that could kind of solve my problem. And now that this is turning into a business, it's something that I'm legitimately passionate about. So when things get hard, when uh, when testing is still going bad, even though we've been through all these iterations, I still have that big drive in the back and behind me uh, because I really want to see this thing come to life. And uh, so although Frenzy failed and although uh, it was a lot of work almost for nothing, it taught me a whole lot of things that I've carried into uh, Barrage. And so I'm so thankful that I, I went through that initially before I uh, came to this company. Yeah, that's 
that's a great story and some great insights from that. Um, I think my biggest experience from having shut down, um, you know, a long time ago, you know, a few companies most recently leaving, uh, right. the most recent one is that it, it, it's one of these things where investors, I'm going to, I'm going to take that perspective. So investors invest in a company right. and they expect that company to get a 10 X to a thousand X return, like a big return right. to return the fund. Right. And let's say the company is, and let's say they invested because the founder is super interesting mm-hmm. and, and talented. And let's say, the company is just not flying. You know, it's right. not, it's doing fine, but it's not, you know, taking Very off. Soon. Right. It's not, you know, the, the problem with that is that the founder, the founders are, are still working on that thing. That's not taking off and they can't, they're not be able to use their creative energy to take, to do the thing that it will take off. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of my, my biggest thing on this topic. And uh, I just feel, I wish some people were more self-aware like that, like you are, um, and you were, and now look at where you're at. You're doing right. something pretty fucking cool. So, right, thank you. yeah, no problem. <laughs> so a couple more questions for you. Um, yeah. What would you say is the, usually, usually I ask this before the interview, but I forgot. So I'm just going to do it on the, <laughs> on the air. Uh, uh-huh. What do you think? over the last, uh, over your entrepreneurial journey has been one of your biggest business proficiencies, um, or not, sorry, not business proficiencies, proficiencies in starting companies, which means it could be products, it could be development, it could be sales, it could be whatever. Um, Yeah, what is one area that you feel like you're just pretty kick-ass at? (laughs) Well, I I definitely think the development process, uh, I absolutely love that process just of, You know, you start out with a napkin sketch or just a sketch that you threw together or just an idea. And the process of bringing that to life and seeing it in real life, uh, that's got to be the thing that I'm most proficient in just because that's the thing that I'm most passionate about. I love taking ideas and, you know, turning them into something in real life is just a really fun process for me. I want to dive into that then um, specifically because... As I mentioned earlier, you have developed not just a product, but it's, I'm pretty sure you consider it a hardware product, right. um, you yes. know, so I'd like to go into that um, and just go through what it took to get from that napkin sketch right. to your finished, or at least finished up to this point, hardware right. product in Barrage. So can you just outline, once you got the idea, once you sketched mm-hmm. it out, you knew what it would look like, what'd you do next? Like what was yeah. the next step? Yeah, so the very first thing that I, I did, uh, if you remember earlier, I mentioned that I had the idea of making a punching bag with lights inside of it. So uh, I went and scoured Craigslist and found the cheapest punching bag I could find. I, I bought a punching bag for 20 bucks. It was torn up and everything else. And so I took all of the insides of that punching bag out and dumped them, dumped them into my bathtub. And I actually have, I was recently going through pictures and I found a picture of my bathtub with all this punching bag filling in it. And so it was really funny to look back at it, but I basically gutted that punching bag out and stuffed electronics and LEDs inside of it, along with how I thought the pressure sensor might look. Um, I did a little bit of research as to how I might make a pressure sensor, things like that. And just grabbed some hot glue and some wire and things like that and stuffed it in and dumped all of the electronics in a Kleenex box and pushed it into the sleeve to see if I could get it to react 
the way that I expected it to. And um, luckily, I mean, it wasn't necessarily that straightforward. It definitely took a lot of iterations and things like that. But although it was really ugly and I had to do some sewing and by no means can I sew it all, but uh, I, I got something to sort of look like a resemblance of what I had in mind. And so once I had that initial proof of concept, I was able to go and do some 3D modeling and things like that to give me a more refined view of what I might be aiming for as far as developing this product goes. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, you mentioned you had to sew, but you don't know how to sew. Right. I want to kind of get go very, you know, micro into that moment. Yeah. Right. How did you, I mean, what did you do? Did you just go to a YouTube video and learn what materials you needed to buy and just straight up sewed or? Yeah, that's exactly it. YouTube is a beautiful resource. So there were tons of uh, videos to show you how to use a sewing machine. Luckily my mom had an old sewing machine that she wasn't using anymore. So uh, I was able to put that together and start sewing up um, an insert for the punching bag that will kind of house the, lights and things like that so yeah youtube was my best friend basically while i was uh starting out in this journey and how do you think about uh i guess in some ways the de software developers would call it shipping code um mm -hmm. you, you know you can ship code very easily well i'm not a developer but i okay. but knowing what i know about technology you can ship code fairly easily over over the air through software but right. when you ship code, you know, it's hardware, mm -hmm. so it's a little more, I guess, difficult. So I guess my question is, for the next version, mm -hmm. how do you think about um, shipping the next version of your product and what needs to happen? What does happen in your head and what needs to happen in real life to get to where you, um, you want to go? Right. So as of right now, I'm actually hoping that I don't have to uh, ship any code or anything like that because... Basically, my thought process right now is that since my phone is able to communicate with the hardware element that's in the sleeve, I'm hoping to develop code that can remain on the sleeve itself and not need any modification or anything else, but just different commands that come from your phone. So essentially, I'm just modifying my iOS software or my Android software. And through that, there are uh, app store updates and things like that that are very secure. Uh, very user-friendly and so I'm hoping to just update the app portion of the code and leave the the sleeve portion of the code by itself and how it uh, initially ships that makes sense how do you you might have mentioned this in a way that I might have not taken or understood so mm -hmm. apologies if it's a repeat but no of course you mentioned earlier that you need to develop a product that can withstand professional boxers right. hitting it all day. Right. But you also have some sort of technology mm -hmm. in this pad. How did you think about this technical challenge? Yeah. So uh, basically trial and error and a lot of, you know, trying to pick up and run and falling flat on my face. There's a lot of that when it, especially when you're trying to develop something that's meant to be beat up. And uh, so a lot of that came through just whether it's punching it myself or taking it to a gym because I'll, funny, uh, a funny story and a good illustration for this is the very first day that I started testing, uh, I had been punching and beating up on the sleeve in my apartment for, for quite a while. And so I figured that 
it would be a good time to start shipping these out to different gyms in the valley, letting them use it and see what type of feedback I get. And so um, a lot of the iterations that have happened had just come from, uh, hey, these lights went out. Hey, you know, it's not working anymore. So I take it down and bring it back home and figure out what exactly caused the problem and then find a way to fix it. Um, and so I took, I made a bunch of sleeves and this was actually a really dumb mistake, but since I had been taking the same sleeve around the different gyms and having them use it, it withstood um, all of the testing that I had done so far. So I figured, hey, I'm ready, let's do this. Let's send a bunch of sleeves out to these gyms and see what type of feedback I get. So I made as many sleeves as my budget would allow. And I took the very first sleeve to a boxing gym. And as soon as I wrapped it up, it failed and it stopped working. And then I brought them another one, it failed. And basically uh, what I found out that my first version wasn't perfect by any means. And so uh, through this sort of humbling experience, I was able to figure out exactly what's wrong uh, how I can make it better to withstand punches and kicks and uh, kind of just iterate through this process a little bit quicker with the gym's help. How'd you learn all of this? Like you're, you're in my opinion, very savvy. Like this is just exactly how you're supposed to, this is how it's supposed to work in my, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, but at least for me, it took me, I think about three years mm -hmm. or four years to, to, to get it right. um, so how did you get it like or and you know obviously it's just my opinion you might have different like whatever you view yourself is how you view yourself but like I view you as like very competent and very proficient in just entrepreneurship yeah. how how'd you get there in you know in your view yeah so um that's a good question and I really don't know that I'm there yet to be honest with you um like I said, I think I'm, I'm an inventor who's just trying to uh, turn himself into an entrepreneur. But along the way, I think I've just been able to, I always hear fail quickly and figure out what doesn't work, figure out how to make it work. And I think a lot of what's happened so far is just problem solving. So I try something one way and it fails. And I have to go back and figure out why it failed and what else I can do to uh, kind of make it better. And I think that honestly, that's all that I've done so far is just kind of fallen, gotten back up, seeing how I can run a little bit longer, fallen, and just can kind of continue that process. So I think to the outside looking in, it might seem like a more polished system, but uh, I really think it's just kind of been trial and error for me. I feel like it's, it's, it's always trial and error, even if you're the best. Like I've had, right. I've had people come on who are multiple time founders and their first company was right. very successful. And they just say the same, they're just like, yeah, well just, I mean, it's problem solving and figuring it out, you know, still make mistakes, right. you know, we're all, it makes me realize that, you know, obviously you should be a good founder entrepreneur to build a, a, a good company, but mm -hmm. none of this is, is rocket science. Right. You know, it's not easy. Right, but exactly. it's there's also a kind of a rough playbook mm -hmm. um, as long as you pair that playbook with your own internal motivations and, uh, and passions. Right. And there's so many different branches and pathways that you can go. And I think it's I think it's kind of a person to person thing. So 
just your own logic, your own decisions, uh, and having somebody to bounce ideas off of. It's been nice having like my family, my venture mentor, things like that, and people that are willing to tell me when I come up with a stupid idea or a stupid strategy, because uh, it really uh, it gives me an opportunity to analyze what I was thinking about doing and seeing if that's really the best choice for me to make. And I, I think that that's been one of the biggest, um, not necessarily keys to success, but biggest assistance that I've had is just having um, a group that's willing to be honest with me and because they want to see me successful. So uh, that's been really helpful. Definitely. Well, I have a couple more questions for you. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like when when I'm when I'm in Arizona before this year when I kind of got tapped into the San Francisco scene, I always felt like there was something more out there. Like I was in Phoenix, uh-huh. you know, the tech scene is good but nascent. It's early, right. um, and I always felt like, oh, I gotta get out there. I gotta get there. Right. I gotta get there. And and I I just am wondering, do you? How do you feel about? kind of that realm and the Phoenix tech scene, building a, building a startup in the Phoenix tech scene, um, just like general thoughts on, on that. Right. Um, so actually, so I did an internship in the Bay area. It was right when I was, uh, first introduced to entrepreneurship. I was really excited about it. So I got to see some of the, all, you know, it's startup capital. So I got to roll down the street and see five different startups as I roll down the street. And so I was exposed to that. But coming back to Phoenix, I really like it because um, I feel like when you're in a place like San Francisco, it's easy to look at like the Facebooks, the Googles, uh, although they're not a startup, but uh, Snapchat, whoever, fill in the blank. I feel like it's very easy to look at them and kind of over aspire to try to be like them or replicate their journey. And out here in Phoenix, we have a lot of different resources and a lot of different things to help you get to a startup. But it's nice because it's kind of like, make it your own, Uh, figure out your own journey. We'll give you these resources, but don't look at the person to the left or to the right of you. Figure out how to make your own Facebook story, your own Snapchat story, whatever the case might be. And so I've loved Phoenix for that reason, just because you don't have these giants and these uh, Hollywood stories like the, the founder and things like that to look at. You just have your own race to run and your own resources to use. So I really love Phoenix as a startup um, place to begin. I like that. Kudos, kudos to that answer. Um, a, uh, you know, I have two more for you and then, mm-hmm. and then we will wrap it up. Uh, so what does the next 10 years look like uh, for you and this company? If everything went as planned, if everything, if everything happened just as you wanted it to, uh, where would you be in 2030? Right. So uh, I guess I'll answer this um, uh, and kind of disregard any potential, um, I guess, backlash or anything else negative press or whatever. But (laughs) like I said, I I enjoy the process of inventing. So if in 10 years, someone bought me out, or, you know, I was absorbed into Century or one of these big punching bag manufacturers, these combat sport manufacturers, 
that's where I'd be happiest because then I could start inventing something else and begin kind of getting out more ideas because like I said, I just like the idea of having people using a product that started out in my head. And so uh, I can't say that I want to run a business long-term. I can't say that I want to become some giant or anything else like that, but I want to just get the opportunity to continue to invent and continue to just create. And so I hope if everything goes right, uh, Barrage gets absorbed or bought out by someone else. I love it. I love it. And my last question for you is in order to get bought out and get absorbed, um, you're, you know, not a lot of things need to go right in the next decade, which means you can use some help whenever you get it. That's like what founders need, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, people to to pay attention and help. And you got, you know, all these people, however many are listening to this Mm -hmm. podcast, that are probably as interested in this product as I am that want to help that want to see you succeed. So do you have an ask for the, for the forward thinking founders community or something that you need help with that you think at least one person or two people listening can assist with? Right. Um, so one of the biggest things that I'm trying to find is someone to help. So that the mobile app will be a very big driver for this, um, striking sleeve it'll have all the different game modes it'll have all of the commands that are sent to the striking sleeve so one of the biggest things that i'm looking for is another uh person that understands hardware but also understands software so that some of that um code development can sort of be uh shared or even offloaded to someone else who has who thinks in that type of mindset so having having another technical founder would be extremely helpful and I think would really accelerate the development process and make this, turn this into something even cooler than what it already is. And to everyone else, just if you, if you know of anybody that likes uh, punching bags or likes combat sports or just would like a cool way to beat up on a punching bag or anything else, please just let them know about what I've been working on and just share it. And uh, yeah, hopefully it can become a, a big success one day. All right. You all heard it here. You know how to help. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ricky. I think this is just super unique and fascinating and I'm interested to see one, how it goes and two, uh, when I can purchase one. And also when I can, when I can, when the the financial time is right to make the investment and have my own. So uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a great time, so thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And if you did enjoy it, and you have enjoyed previous episodes, and you by chance would want to meet a good amount of the guests I've had on the podcast, then you should come to the Forward Thinking Founders Meetup. If you listen to the beginning of this episode, you know how to attend, how to get the information. But if you forgot, all you have to do is become an angel investor in the podcast for $10 a month or for $100 a year. You get access to all our in-person events and online communities and premium content. It's a hell of a deal. And let me be honest, it really supports me as a creator. So if you're interested in meeting some of the guests and me, your host, at this meetup in San Francisco late January, go to glow.fm slash f20r and let's make it happen hope you have a great rest of your day and i will see you tomorrow peace